My pleasure. So I'll tell you why I chose this um, topic, because I just found out that the course that I teach in um, Cy Sims Uptown, I'm going to teach here too. It's going to be my first opportunity to actually teach in Stern. So I'm going to teach uh, business and Jewish law in the spring semester if they can work out the schedule. And this is part of that, so I figured I'd introduce some mercantile law, some commercial law. And that's why I chose this, because this is a really fascinating, it's a fun topic, and um, we'll get as far as we can um, with something that is pretty astounding. Um, we're going to look at four lines in the Gemara that a concept that's only mentioned once in the Talmud, and I was somebody showed me a, a shiur that somebody uh, posted on the web in which he actually counted all the places that it appears in other literature. So he said he went into the Bar Ilan Chuvot project. He says it appears once in the Gemara, and I don't remember the numbers, eight times in the Gaonim and like 20 times in the Rishonim and then 400 times in modern postgame. So this is a concept that you could see it got a lot of grounding to it, and I think it's actually pretty amazing as a concept because um, it's going to say something that we never would have thought from a jurisprudential view would be the case, namely that commercial practice can establish law. That's an astounding idea, right? That the practice that people have can actually supplement legal practice. And if somebody said this from more liberal orthodox movements, we'd jump all over them. There'd be all kinds of Facebook posts and, you know, and whatever. But this, we have to read it and see how this all works, okay? So just to set the stage, I gave you the very beginning of the laws of commerce, which are, um, should I take a vote? Should I be yeshivish or svardit tonight? I guess because of the matzav, <laughs> I'll read in svardit because of the matzav, okay? Okay, so we'll read Hilchot Mekach Memkar, which are the laws of commerce. These come from, you can see where it is. I'm showing off my, um, some of my fonts there, so you can see that, oh, I didn't have my Rashi font. Yes, I do, I show my Rashi font mm -hmm. down below. Um, so this is the words of the Mechaber in Siman Kuf Tet in Choshen Mishpat, which is Ein HaMekach Nigbar Bigdvarim. You can't do a deal through verbal agreement. Okay? Now, we're going to see that whenever there is a legal principle, there is always an exception. And we're going to see, and you know that to be the case, famous statement of Rabbi Yochanan, right? even where it says, that doesn't mean that there aren't other things that also are exceptions to the rule. So anyway, we'll find out exceptions to this. So this is just summarizing the halacha, and it's based, and we, we, you know, we'll, we'll go through some of the background of this, but let's just look at the importance of Kenyan in commercial transactions. You can't complete a transaction with words only. What do you, what's it going to take to put me into this sports car, right? Uh, um, you got to pay so-and-so. 
and they both agree, now pifsok means like psak halacha, they agreed, they finalized, they said, they cut off the, uh, we're going to see something called a shtar psikta, we're going to see in a little bit, uh, that we'll see is just like tanaim. So, paskua damim, now damim is not kesef kinyan, damim is the payment that will be made, right? So damim is the money that they agree is going to exchange hands. But we'll see that the money exchanging hands is not necessarily part of the Kenyan. The Kenyan is what affects the transfer of ownership. Upaskuot, I mean, they agree the money, right? Yecholim lachzor shnehem. Either of them can back out. Afilu hayad davar bifneidim. Even if they said, do you sell? Yes. Do you buy? Yes. What's the amount? They agree. They, you know, uh, even if it was bifneidim, vamrulahem. And it wasn't just that people were walking by and they saw this. They actually appointed them to be Edim. But nevertheless, that this guy sold, this guy bought. Until the, the transactions completed with Kenyan. Karka lefi kinyano, if it's real estate, lefi kinyano. Ubale chayim, if it's animals, lefi livestock, lefi kinyanam. Umetaltali, movable objects, lefi kinyanam. Each one of those has a method of kinyano. Lacharshin nigmar mekach, kol echad lefi kinyano. Ein shum echad mehem yachol achzorbo. Afilu loa yueidim batabar. So it turns out it's not that if people witnessed it, it's not that they agreed, it's not that they said anything, it's whether or not there was this act of Kenyan. Now that's a strange thing if you think about it. So if there's like, was a magical act that it affects the transfer, that they did this act, whatever it is, let's, by the way, think of what acts of Kenyan could actually be. So let's try to figure out what could be an act of Kenyan. Well, we know this, if you look in the Mishnah in... Um, in Kedushin, right, at the beginning, Perak Aleph, the loaded Mishnah that I'll just quickly explain, so because you all know it, and we should make sure that we understand it, Ishan Niknet B'Shalosh Terachim, that a woman uh, can have her status effected, it can be changed from a Pnuya to, an ish, to a wife, right? Now, by the way, that's not, gen- just to make it clear, and this isn't apologetics. I'd call a spade a spade if I had to. It's not a commercial transaction. It's not that she's purchased because he doesn't give money to somebody else. He gives it to her. She transfers her own status, right? So it's just a Kenyan means a transfer of status or a transfer of ownership. Now, unfortunately, the rabbis maybe were a little tone deaf in terms of, you know, the impression that it makes because they, they talk about real transactions in the Mishnayot that follow. And when you have Isha, and then after that you have Behema Gasa and whatever, it's sort of not, you know, it doesn't make the right impression, but um, this is in Facebook, this is the Mishnah, so I don't have to worry about the impression that it makes, we can just learn Torah, okay? So the Isha Nignate B'Shalosh Trachim, Right, the Kesef Shtar Bia, which we, which we know, that's how Kenyan takes place. Evikanani a the Kesef Shtar, Behema Gasab in Psira, Behema Daka, Machloket, whether you're Hagbao, Meshicha, it's all at the beginning of the Mishnayot of Kedushin. Okay, all these different uh, methods of, and by the way, the list looks exhaustive. So you have Karka, right, you have real estate. You have Bale Chaim, you have livestock, you have Metatlin, you have objects, right? You have Avadim, right? So you have 
people, it looks to be exhaustive. It doesn't, so those look to be the only methods. They're all spelled out. That's how you do Kenyan. It doesn't look like there's any other method, okay? But in the halachic sources, there are two elements to the Kenyan. We don't see them here, but we'll see one of them a little bit later. Um, in another, we'll, we'll see a proof text for it. In the halachic sources, there are basically two elements to the Kenyan. There's the Maaseya Kenyan, there's the act, and here we're only talking about the act that the, apparently the buyer does. Right? Um, the buyer is Moshech et ha the um, buyer is Magbiya et ha you know, he lifts up the object. Right? Um, but there's also something referred to as Gimirutat, the resolve of the seller to sell and the buyer to buy. And if you don't have that, if you know that they don't intend for a final sale, then it doesn't work. Then the sale doesn't take place. Now, we're going to need a proof of that, okay? And for there, we're going to turn to um, a, a very important figure in halakhic history. And just so we always get an idea where, you know, where people lived and where they were and what period of time. We're talking about just before the Civil War, 1859 in Krakow in Poland, not the Civil War in uh, Poland, but the Civil War in the United States, just to place it so we know about 1859 to about 1920. So this is a 20th century Posek who um, is one of the greatest of all the Akronim, and uh, he wrote a sefer called the... Uh, I have to say, he didn't refer to it as the Beit HaOtsar. He referred to it really as the Baisa Otsar, right? Probably. Okay, but I'll call it the Beit HaOtsar. And uh, um, uh, if you want to see his most famous work, I'll give you the new way that we quote uh, great works. It's the Asvan Diorisa, which are incredible hakiras. If you really want to learn real sharp hakiras, you can learn Rabbi Yosef Engel, the author of the Vesa Otsar, you can learn his Hakiros in Asfan de Oraisa, and you, you can find it under hebrewbooks.org 14543. That's the one. So that's my reference, because I have it on my, actually I have it on my iPad. I downloaded a PDF of it, thanks to Doe Freeberg and hebrewbooks.org, where you can find all great Achronish uh, Shesvarim. Uh, so if you ever want to learn really clear, sharp, logical, Models of Talmudic analysis look in the Asfandiyoraisa of Rabbi Yosef Engel. Now, this Besa Otsar, you know what an Otsar is? It's like the treasury, right? Like Otsar, like Otsarotato, right? So we know, so uh, Beta Otsar is what the royal treasury. So he created an encyclopedia of halakhic topics, and he has a very philosophic, conceptual mind, and it's, it's you know, a staple of. Um, of uh, the yeshiva world, um, when uh, um, you know, in more traditional yeshivos, uh, the Besa Otsar and the Sivos, the Ktsos, these are the, the you know, the Kuntras These are the major works that um, people study and that I spend a lot of time with myself. So let's see what he said about Kenyan in the Besa Otsar. He says, "Ain Masa Kenyan Hua Poel He says it's not actually the act; it's not a magic act of Kenyan, that the person's Moshech, oh, they pulled the thing, so that's like a magical act, and whatever. He says, no. It says, 
רק ההכנעה באה מעצמה. The transfer of ownership comes between the two parties when the seller resolves to sell and the buyer resolves to buy. That's what a real sale is. So why do we require this act of Kenyan? Right? So he says, from the fact that he has voluntarily decided he's going to sell it, the, the land to his you know, counterpart. So he says, what's the purpose of this act? This is so sharp. He says, if we didn't have the physical performance of Kenyan, we wouldn't know that he really wants to transfer ownership or buy, that the seller wants to sell and the buyer wants to buy, right? Because the dibura avid enish demikare. So that it can happen that people randomly speak. They can say, you know, hey, let's make a deal. Yeah, yeah, sure, take that, right? So we don't really know what's in somebody's mind. And since it's not the words that actually affect the transfer, but the resolve of the two parties to transact, we need a proof that they have that resolve, that there's Gemir with God. So what does the Beit HaOtzar say? Beit HaOtzar says that ve'ein raya adayin heyot rutsono be'met kaklak no, just from what they said. Masha'ein kein kinyan. If we set up something in Jewish law that says that all deals are final when you moshech et then the deal's final. So what does, he says, what does the act of Kenyan, why do we require an act of Kenyan? We require an act of Kenyan because we, otherwise we wouldn't know what's in the person's mind that they're actually selling because nobody can read somebody else's mind. So this is a physical manifestation of the will of the two parties to transact. Now, it would be interesting to look. I think Rav Asher Weiss uh, Shlita says, uh, I think it's in Baba Bas or something. He objects to this, but it's a it's a pretty much agreed upon by many many Rishonim and Akroni that Kamiratat is what is the basis of Kenyan. But he says, what are, what are you telling me? I never saw a law where you said that the Torah stipulated something. The reason we do it is because the Torah said to do it. That's why we do it. I never saw a law where the Torah said you got to do X Y Z because of something else. Right? We, you know, either you have to do Kenyan or you don't have to do Kenyan. And he says, by the way, this is another objection that he has. This doesn't really make sense. I'm not going to address his objections, you know, at another time, maybe in longer, you know, form. But given the limited amount of time that we have, let's just note it that he says, you know, if it's a Gemirat Dot, to sign a Gemirat Dot, why don't both parties have to do the Kenyan, the buyer and the seller? But general accepted understanding is that Kenyan is there as a demonstration of. Gemirutat. Um, okay? So let's just finish. Because he knows that its sale will be final if he did Kenyan. You must then assume it's only there as a proof that the person indeed wants to sell. So, not that the act of actually doing Kenyan affects the transfer. Now, what does that mean? It means that the most important element of a transaction in Jewish law, according to Beta Otsar and others, right, 
and Rabbi Shlomo Kluger and uh, many, many other great authorities, is the most important element of it is it's a cognitive act. It's the cognitive act of the buyer to buy and the seller to sell. And when they signal that, and we know they signal their cognitive act by, by one, allowing the Kenyan to take place, handing the reins of the animal over and then the other guy pulling it, and from that point on, the buyer's response, something happens to the animal, it's his animal, right? You know? Then all of a sudden, you know, somebody swoops down with a drone and shoots the, you know, the animal, and the animal's dead. Well, guess what? The buyer now lost it, and if the Kenya hadn't taken place yet, the animal would still belong to the seller. Okay? Everybody with me? All right. Now, that's the Beitol Tsar, pretty much agreed by most that the purpose of the act of Kenyan and all the different acts of Kenyan that we saw, Meshicha, Agba'a, Mesira, handing it over, all these acts of Kenyan that are required are there to show um, that um, they have symbolic value, they demonstrate what's in the mind of the seller and the mind of the buyer. Everybody with me? Now that stands to make sense because it's unlike we say, what would we say in our modern mercantile system? We would say, well, when you make payment then it's yours. You don't make payment, it's not yours, right? But we just said, remember in the source, in the Shulchan Aruch above, the damim have nothing to do with this. You do the Kenyan, and then you agree that later he's going to pay him the damim. The damim are not the kes of Kenyan. The damim is the payment that's made for the object, but the Kenyan is something apart from that. Okay? Right. Now, a few little things that we're not going to cover, but we... we definitely would need to think about if we were trying to get a full grasp of the halakha, would be that in all these cases, the object that's being purchased, even if it's land, is present. It exists already in the world, right? So it might be that when the Gemara says, you can't sell something that doesn't exist yet, right? Could we understand that? By the way, anybody recognize that principle? Anybody learn Hamafkid here, right? As to whether or not, so it's the beginning of the third parak of uh, Bamatsiya, it's a Girsa di Yankusa for me, or Girsa di Yankuta for me, that doesn't sound right. When I was uh, a little kid, it's one of the first Gemaras that I learned really, really well. And um, the whole question there as to whether or not the, you know, you know if the Shomer wants to pay um, because he doesn't want to take his Shfu'ah that he guarded an object really well, if they find the ganav afterwards, then the kefil belongs to him. So the whole question is, how could he buy the kefil? How could he have bought the kefil? Kefil didn't exist when he, when he paid, right? So, you can't sell something that doesn't exist. Can we, there's got to be some really intelligent woman here who can figure out, how would that, would that accord with the opinion of the Beta Otsar that the whole point of Kenya is Gmirudat, a sign of Gmirudat, right? Is that maybe consistent with it? Maybe you can have Gmirudat resolve on something that doesn't physically exist. Maybe that's the reason. So there are people that explain, yes, hey, Beit outside. that's one of the things that he had in mind, sure. Now, that could be an issue for e-commerce because a lot of times the things that you order on the internet don't exist yet. They're made when you hit the mouse button. 
right? It sends an order, you, they, they read your credit card, right? And then, in some cases, they actually make up the item because they don't keep um, inventory, right? So that could be a problem for some, you know, um, except we will find out that this, this um, Gemir Dat really goes far. Um, do you have here Shalot and Shuvot in this Beit Midrash you can get hold of? So anybody want to take a look, not now, but take a look at some point at the, believe it or not, one of the great liberals of Jewish law, the Chasim Sofer, right? He would very much object if I called him the Chatam Sofer, right? In any case, the Chasim Sofer, it's Choshem Mishpat Siman Samech Vav. He actually writes about that Davar Shalom Bali Olam may actually be obviated by what we're going to learn about the laws that come ahead. So uh, we'll double back to that at some point, that it may actually solve that problem. So all these things come into accord when we're, you know, doing this. Now, here we have this notion of mere thought. Yes, ma'am. Can I just make sure I understand the question of play? Uh-huh. So are we wondering how we can It could be. That's one thing. A lot of times it is in existence because they'll say there are four of them and if you order in the next two minutes, you'll get it in the next 12 hours, right? So a lot of times it does exist, right? So that's not a problem, but um, I was just pointing out that could be a potential problem because we'd have to know maybe that the product exists, okay? But the other thing is how is clicking a mouse an act of Kenyan that doesn't appear in the Mishnah? I never mentioned anything about, right. you so know... If you're getting something on e-commerce, you're going to get it probably from a UPS truck yeah, okay. or, or a FedEx truck. So you're right. only going to receive it from someone who didn't otherwise own it. Okay, now they could have put it actually, yeah, but that could be a shaliyah. They're just a shaliyah to bring it, okay? Mm-hmm. So that may not be a problem, and I'm going to get to you a second. And then that may, I don't want you to sit there with your hand up, you know, because this isn't a gym class. You don't need any extra, <laughs> you don't need any extra, any extra exercise, okay? Mm-hmm. So, the, you, you know, that, that might be a problem. Um, but what I'm going to say is I just, the preliminary problem here is I don't see how pushing the button on a mouse constitutes any of the methods that are listed in the Mishnah. Okay? And that's why we're going to have these special little lines from Baba Metziah that are only mentioned once that are going to jump out and become a central feature of modern contemporary halakha, even though they only appear once in the Gemara. And you can see it's going to be very, very interesting how we get there. Okay, yes, ma'am. Um, but so in Mekanah Dam Devar Shalom is yeah. that talking about just the that you use to buy it? No, it means that you can't transfer ownership from one person to another on something that doesn't exist yet. So the, the Gemara gives only one kind of example, one kind of exception. It says, but if you had like a palm tree, which gives off fruit every year seasonally, you could sell a head because you can assume that you could sell a head. That's right? what I was going to ask. Yeah. So what would it count? So let's say you know that your neighbor has a flock of sheep. If you give money now so that any sheep will be born will be yours, and then right. you do the kinyan when, you, when the sheep are actually born. Well, that's, you can have an agreement with him or something, and you, there could be halakhic, you know, suasion, moral suasion, and I'm going to explain what that concept is in a second, which is a fascinating concept, okay? 
the only way you can't be Choser is if you did Kenyan. That's what we saw in the Shulchan But there's a concept called Misha Para La'anshe Dor Hamabul or La'anshe Haflaga. So there's a concept. May he who paid the, the, the people, the generation of the flood who punished them, para, pay resh ayin, or punish the people of Bavel, right, the Tower of Bavel, may he pay you back if you go back on your word. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the rabbis have, they say, you, they didn't like when people could walk away from a deal. They could theoretically. So what did they have to do? Because there was no Kenyan. If they had an agreement and they didn't stand by it, then they called down, may the heavens punish you if you walk away from this. But that's because their hands were tied halachically, because there was no Kenyan. So they didn't want to give people the right to cheat, or the right to mislead, or, you know, or, or rip off other people through making promises, and then when the price changed, not, not standing up to it, right? And only one way, so what, you know, if price goes up, then they took it, if it went down, then they buy it from somebody else. They didn't want to allow that, so they had this curse that they would call down on people, which basically meant you're not a good person, right? So, and I dealt with that, by the way, briefly the last time I was here for when Rav Lichtenstein, uh, Zechut Sadi Kukarish Bracha, was Nifter, and I did some of his Torah on the relationship between halacha and ethics. Mm-hmm. So I dealt with that concept that, you know, it might be that the law gives us an out, but in the end, the law subsumes also the responsibility to do the right thing, right? When it says in the Torah, Vasita hayashar v'atov Hashem. So that's the catch-all, according to the Ramban, that Rav Lichtenstein quotes, that is, that covers all the underlaps in Jewish law. Okay? Yeah. So why would you consider e-commerce as a kinyan as opposed to I'm putting the payment on now, and then when I physically lift up the box or lift up the item from the box, that's me actually making the kinyan. Yeah, okay, so because I want to be in the e-commerce business and I want to send people out stuff, but if they can just say, <coughs> okay, I decided not to buy it because I never made kinyan, it's just going to sit on my step. So you're in Des Moines, Iowa, come pick it up. I'm in Flatbush, right? Because I didn't really buy it. So what we really want is a commercial system of precision where people can't do those kind of things. So what we're asking is, right, now, and you can do what, there's always a really bright student when I start teaching this, who just turns around and says to me, Rebbe, aren't you going to say Dina de Machuta Dina eventually and whatever? And I say, you know, let's stay with the program, right? Okay, let's not skip to one possible answer, right? But let's just follow through. Because Latkila, we want to make the system work the right way, rather than have to have, you know, extra legal principles and stuff. Yeah. Um, does it make a difference that if you're buying something with e-commerce, that you're buying it from a company and not from an individual? As I, I don't know if it's a difference or not. Um, I just want to so at some point, we should have a discussion about what's the halakhic status. Is there such a thing called a corporation? And does it have a halakhic status? That's a fascinating topic. My friend Rabbi Michael Broyd has uh, written on this, you know, very cogently. It's a great topic. I'm very interested in it. I taught it in Cardozo, you know, one semester. It's a very interesting topic, but it's too much for now. We're just going to say, we're going to assume that the corporate, there's no such thing as a corporate entity that doesn't have a human personality to it. So we'll say that at least it's owners of a corporate entity um, basically, well, there are two possibilities. And where does this come up? It comes up like with chumitz, 
and like Pathmark, right? You know, so, uh, and you could, if you want to write a safer on what I just said, you could write a footnote and say, Behuwa din Shoprite, right? Okay, <laughs> so here's the, here, here's how this, you know, we might say, what are some sparas that we might have? We might say that it depends upon who the shareholders are. If they're Jewish shareholders, then Shoprite is a Jewish entity and they can't own Hamet Shavar Lava Pesach. Or we might say, no, it depends on who the executive management is, because if I own shares in a company, I have no rights to manage and I can't control anything. So we might, all kinds of arguments, you know, or whatever, that's for another time we could do. Is there such a thing in Jewish law called the corporation that has a corporate life to it? By the way, I would ask the following too, for another time. Is there such a thing in Jewish law called Medinat Yisrael that has a legal status to it as an entity? Or is it just a bunch of Jews, right? So, and Arabs, right? But is there such a thing? Does Medinat Yisrael have a legal status? I'm not sure. Okay? Okay, now. um, So, what we want to know is, where did he get this idea that... um, where did he get this idea that Kimiru um, uh, um, Dot, where did the Beit HaOtsar get it? Do we find it, it's actually what affects Kenyan. So here's, by the way, for those who came in late, Kimiru Dot means the resolve of a seller to sell, resolve of a buyer to buy. That's what affects a transaction, a transaction according to this Akron. And we want to know, but so why are the laws of Kenyan? The laws of Kenyan are there to demonstrate that the buyer wants to buy and the seller wants to sell. They don't really affect the transaction. They're only a proof of the willingness of the two to do the transaction. Okay? So where do you get that idea? So here's an interesting sugya in Ketubot. It's, um, I hope I have the reference right, because you might want to look it up. It's either... I think it is Kufala Famud Bet, okay? And the, the context of the sugya is whether, don't worry about the context, I'll tell you anyway, but that's not what we're concerned. We're going to read a little piece here that just will make a lot of sense. The context is whether a woman presents an unsigned note that was signed in the presence of witnesses, the witnesses signed, right? It, but the, the note itself is unsigned whether or not she's believed as to the force of that note. Can she present it as evidence? So the Gemara suggests a source that she is, and the Gemara rejects this and says, we're talking about something else. We're talking about the following case, and here's the case. Am I just repeating? Are there witnesses on the note or not? It doesn't matter. Okay, okay. that's just background. (laughs) It's where we are in the Sokia, right? So we're reading for structure because we want to read the the case, okay? in Ketubot, and we're going to skip down that after they ask all these questions, you know, who is a, whether the witness is signed, they didn't sign, whatever they read, they say, no, we're not even talking about that. It says, look at the third to the last line, the second to the last line. Lo, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Shifre Psikta. We're talking about Shtarot that are agreements that establish the terms of a marriage. We don't call them Shifre Psikta anymore. What do we call them? Tonight. And they are, by the way, I would just tell you a little secret, they are the, 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 the kibbut that is least appreciated by rabbis when they're given to read the tonight. Okay? So, you know, um, you, you know, it's like, you, you know, when you, uh, I sometimes say to a rabbi, um, oh, you were at the uh, wedding, were you in Musagish? He says, 
no, I read the Tonight. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, I'm always honored, you know. And I'll make the other thing, I'd say, say this, because um, hopefully, um, you know, many of you will be in this position in the future. I always object when somebody's learned with me for a couple of years, and then they ask me to be the Masada Kedushin when they get married. They have to fly in their Rosh Hashiva from New York. It's like really important. But their rabbi was their rabbi for 22 years. Let your rabbi perform it. Just invite me. I'm happy to, you know, to... To dance at your wedding, I'm happy to, you know, to um, um, to greet all your um, in-laws and tell them how brilliant you are. And, you know, I'm happy to do whatever you want me to do, but you don't have to make me the Masada Kedushin when your rabbi's been with you for 22 years. Okay, so just keep that in mind. So anyway, and I'm happy to read the tonight. So I'm one of those people. Who read it. Okay. Um, so what what do the tonight do? They stipulate the financial conditions of the wedding. That's what they do. And why do we still do it? Because all the agreements have already been made. We do it because they serve sort of as shiduchin. And there's a Gemara that says that you, you, you can't get married without having shiduchin, like formal, you know, uh, making the match. And that serves as like shiduchin, okay? So in any case, we read the Tanaim. And um, the Tanaim, so a woman presents copy of Tanaim, this document that stipulates the financial arrangement around the marriage. That's what we're talking about. Now, here is, look what they say. And they say, you don't have to have had necessarily Kenyan for the Tanayim document, the Shtar Psikta, to have legal effect. And these two lines are like really important. Talk about something completely different, but they really establish the Beta Otsar's opinion that Kenyan is only a sign of Miradat. Look what they say. Ukidarav Gidel de Amarav, Gidel Amarav. Rav Gidel um, uh, quoted Rav. You have a case where you have the two, they're sitting around negotiating the Shtar Psikta, and one party says the other, Kama atan so that's probably the father of the bride says to the father of the groom, how much are you willing to give your son, you know, the couple, support them? And what is the answer? He says, kach v'kach, I'll give X number of dollars, right? Shkalim. How much will you give your daughter? Right? And he says, Kach the Kach. There's no Kenyan. Amdu, the couple gets up, the Kichu, Kanu, the two fathers are on the hill. Oh, there was Kenyan. Now, how does that work? There was no Kenyan between the fathers. There was Kenyan between the two members of the couple because he gave her. You know, Shabbat uh, Pruta in front of Adin, but there was no Kenyan between the fathers, but somehow they're on the hook for the money that they promised. Kanu, they are on the hook. Okay? And what does the Gemara say? Hain, hain, hadvarim aniknim bamira. Those are the things that are purchased or with just through words. Now, we said at the beginning of Hilchot Mekach Memkar, Eina Mekach Nikbarbitvarim. It can't happen with just words, but here's the exception that proves the rule. What's this case say? So the two fathers are there. They agree. And then what happens? They don't object when the marriage goes forward. They're sitting right there. What do we know about the two fathers when they don't object? They just agree, but they never made a Kenyan. They're in agreement. They allowed the wedding to go forward, right? Amdu Vikichu, Kanu. So they're both on the hook. What does that show us? Where we're certain that there was what? Somebody. Starts with a gimel. 
gemirudat. When we're certain that there, thank you, when we're certain that there was gemirudat, then we don't require an act of Kenyan. That's pretty convincing, right? So that sugya would seem to follow the Beta Otsar's opinion that Kenyan is only there to show as a proof that it itself doesn't affect the transaction. It only proves that the two parties really agreed. Yes, ma'am. But why is this any different than if you tried to sell me that water bottle and you say, how much are you going to give me for the water bottle? And I say five shekel, and you're like, that sounds like a great price. Why is that any different than how much will you, are you That's a very good question. Anybody have a, you know, anybody have an idea as to, right? So first, from the language of the Gemara, little evasion here from the language of the Gemara, right? Gemara says, hain hain hadavarim bamira. As if just these things are the things that can be bamira. We're not there to overturn all the laws of Kenyan, but there's some circumstances where that is the case. Now, maybe it is because, maybe somehow they're subsumed under the Kenyan of the bride and the groom, maybe, I don't know. Like in other words, there's makom lihikaderbo. There's plenty of ways now to discuss this in the Gemara and, you know, and try to figure it out, what it is. Or maybe it's because they signed the star Sikta, and even though they didn't physically do an act of Kenyan, maybe that the whole topic of the Gemara here is is quasi-kinyanim that can take place with documents. Maybe that's what it is, okay? So, I mean, there are lots of possibilities, but it's a great... What's your name? Mira. What's your last name? You're actually Jewish. That's great. <laughs> okay. That's fantastic. That's, that's fantastic. Okay, yes, ma'am. Um, so, but in the first cases where you have, um, you have a discussion, but that, and that doesn't affect the Kenyan, it's only when there's an act of... Well, I don't know. See, now that's an interesting reading. That's your reading, which could very well be the case, because your reading that is your attempt to answer the question, right? Really. Well, I was just wondering if, when when the action takes place, is that what creates the Kenyan, or no? That shows that the original Kenyan that the that their verbal intentions were. Um, well, that's what I think. I think yes. And when does the Kenyan take place? At the time that they spoke, or when the action, um, when the See, and I don't, I don't really know. Because it's, in other words, I wanted to say, the reason that I don't know is I could look, it's not a factual thing. I would need to say that it comes out of the sugya, and I don't see that in the sugya. I see lots of ways to explain it. But it could be that this takes place that the Kenyan only to, it seems to be that if you read the sugya carefully, um, it says kanu only after they do the kedushin. Now, I'm hesitant to say that the Kenyan that two other people did puts anybody else on the hook. I think it's that, that them uh, allowing that to take place silently and sitting there silently and even nodding and smiling and whatever and not objecting, I think if they, like, walked out to go to the bathroom, right, or to call their stockbroker, right, um, or to check the Internet to check Facebook, right? If they did that, I can't think of that that would be the case. So I think it's them sitting there. I think it's sort of like a shtikako da adami, but I'm not sure. 
And one way to look at this would be look at all the Rishonim and Akronim on the Gemara there and see how people explain it and see if there's one opinion that really seems to crystallize the whole thing. But it's only, just to follow up with Meir, it's only when all those things seem to happen. Right? It's not that we just suddenly said, okay, now you can throw Kenyan out. So it's not that we're saying Kenyan doesn't work. We're saying that there is a case, and this case sort of proves that Kenyan is Gemirutat. It sort of does prove that, right? Okay? So, right? So it's a good, it's a really, really good source. Okay, now. And then we get to this Gemara in Baba Metziah. Amar Rav Papi, Mishmei Derava. All of a sudden this thing comes up. It says, Hai Situmta, this institution called Situmta, Hai, this, this Situmta thing that you guys talk about, it says, Kanya, can effect Kenyan. So apparently some other act that can effect Kenyan. Now, I will tell you how Rashi explains it and how other Acharonim explain it. That's the word Situmta actually appears in the Targum. And it says when there's a Chotemet, somebody had a Chotemet, a seal. And I think you can figure out who that is in Sefer Prashi had a chotemet, and that chotemet is translated as a situmta. So Rashi explains the following. In the old days, in the time of the Talmud, and by the way, through the Middle Ages, and if you read the great professor Soloveitchik, right, Yoshlita, you will see in his essays on Yain Nesef and everything, Yayin is a big part of commerce, right, uh, for the Jews, and um, um, they would have the following. Wine was distilled into chaviot, right? Into barrels. Okay, and those barrels made out of wood, right? Whatever, not aluminum, didn't exist. Made out of wood. And where were they kept? In the refrigerator? No. They were kept in a cellar. Why? Cool, stay cool, right? So they were kept like underground in a cellar. They would dig out these cellars and stuff. And when somebody wanted to buy wine, a wine merchant wanted to buy wine, what would he do? He'd go to one of these cellars. They'd have all these uh, barrels lined up, and they would have a little, there's a little stopper in the top. They'd take the stopper out. You could smell the wine. You could taste it. And he'd say, okay, I buy that. How did you buy it? Rashi explains. It was an act called Situmta. What was that act? They would take, guy had his own chotemet, his own stopper, right? You know, and he would take it, and he'd put it, in the hole, stamp the cask, that's now his. He owns it, he just can't move it. What would be the normal way, because it's metaltaline, it isn't really metaltaline. By the way, the Gemara asks, when they say that a, um, you know, behema could be with either hadba lifting it, or, or mashicha, they say, well then how could you buy an elephant? They actually ask that question, because you can't move it, it's immovable, right? So the Gemara actually asks that, okay? So, um, so what would they do? They do this act called Situmta. Now, does that act of Situmta appear? Now, that's only one Rishon explains it that way, Rashi. Another Rishon says that Situmta was the sealing of two hands, or in Halacha, Tekiat Kaf, they'd shake hands. That was Situmta too, okay? It might be that certain modern postgames say that saying, shaking hands, saying Mazel um Brocha, and drinking a shot of whiskey, shots, could count as sitomte. Wine dealers, diamond dealers, okay? Could be, okay? So, but what do we see? Here we have acts that are not mentioned in the Mishnah. It's mentioned this sitomte that everybody seems to do. So what does 
Rava say? He says, Kanya. So the Gemara asks, Lamai Hilchata, wait, wait, what's the halacha here? Okay? So, Rav Chaviva Amar, no, it doesn't say Chaviva Amra, and it says Rav, not Maharat, right? It's okay? So it says, Rav Chaviva, just a little joke, okay? Rav Chaviva Amar, Mikanya Mamash. He says that when they said it's Kanya, Sitomte, is it's Mamash Kenyan. They bought it with a, a method which is not in the, in the Mishnah or anywhere else. They, they use this method, this modern method. How that works, I don't know. Okay, we'll see in a minute. Rabbanan Amri, no, it wasn't that. It was Lekabule Ale Misha Parah. Remember I told you about Misha Parah? It was to put on the person the curse that if you don't stand up to the deal, you said you're going to put it, put your seal on it, now you own it, you can't walk away or we call the heavens down to curse you, but it's not really Kenyan because it's not a legitimate method of Kenyan in Halacha. Okay? Everybody with me? Okay? Now, the Gemara says, the law is, para, to, the Halacha is to make him liable to the curse, and then the following one, two, three, four, five words that change the face of halacha forever. I don't want to over-dramatize this, but it is. <laughs> These are like among the most thrilling words to somebody who learns culture in a mishpat and teaches commercial law, business law. This is like one of the most thrilling things. Okay? Uva'atra, and in a place, denehigu limikne mamash kanu. But in a place where the commercial practice is to accept Situmta as full Kenyan, it's Mamash Kenyan, it's Kenyan. Now, what do we get from this? That Sugya teaches us, right? The Sugya teaches us that commercial practice establishes law. In commercial, right? Because now, how does that? Does that is that reinforces at all by the Beit Otsar? Does it reinforce the Beit Otsar in some way? Okay, sir, how? Well, if people conduct commerce in specific ways in their own cultures, then we have certain mindsets about what actually happens when you make a deal with buyers. So, if he's correct that the ekar is gemirudat, then anything that is accepted as established practice, is a sign of gemirut dot. Okay? Yeah, today, when we, we think of it as just like a very normal thing to go online and buy something, so to us, to actually clicking something means that I want to buy this. And so that should be a form of gemirut dot. Okay, so now there still could be other factors, but we're on our way, we're getting past some of the hurdles that would prevent this, and yes? I just going to ask a question. Please. Um, It is different than Dina Malchuta Dina. Dina Malchuta Dina means that we have to um, submit to the authority of the government by whose leave we live in the country. So that's what that means. So, but this would establish that if Jews in a Jewish state where they're in charge have commercial practices, that this goes a lot further, right? So Dina Malchuta Dina is generally, we say, Dina de Malchuta is whatever the, the, the authority that controls the land, and if we don't want to live by his laws, then we should leave. Right? So by living under the law of the land, 
we must submit to the land, which means, by the way, we must pay our taxes according to the law. That is, you know, let me just get it in the recording, right? <laughs> that is Jewish law. Somebody doesn't obey U.S. tax law and tax evasion, right? Okay, they evade their responsibilities. They are not living according to Jewish law. They're violating Dina de Mahuta Dina, right? Okay, now... Um, Tax optimization doesn't mean you have to pay, you know, you can still manage your taxes, and if it's legal to get exemptions, you can still take them. That's not tax evasion. Tax evasion is actually breaking the law. And uh, Rav Schechter's been very clear that there were certain personalities in the Jewish community, great Tommy Dehachamim, who helped people evade money laundering and whatever. He said you cannot count those people in a minion entirely right, okay? And, uh, you know, I always pay my fair share. Doesn't mean I don't look for every possible deduction, right? <laughs> but I pay my fair share. Okay, now, this is a very, very interesting, these four lines in Baba Metziah. Now, listen to what, now, the, the, the Hasim Sofer, right, was not, um, I, I think I can say this fairly without being contradicted, would not have identified himself as being open Orthodox, okay? He was a pretty righteous dude, okay? Mm -hmm. All right? Hasim Sofer. And here's what he says. Did anybody know what a smacht is? I'm not talking about a hook for a pasu, but contingent payments. You know that we say that you can't... I, I, I do a whole thing in the Jewish and Business Law course on whether you can trade, what the difference between gambling and trading is, speculation versus gambling. And one of those things is asmachta. You know that you can't um, make a deal with somebody that if um, I'll pay you if um, a bird flies, the next bird that flies past is blue. You can't make such a deal. That's asmachta. You can't, um, you have to have something that the deya is so mechet alav, okay, that people can, can, can trust. Not something that's contingent. You can't gamble. You can't. Um, do that kind of a thing, okay? Now, Hasim Sofer says that Situmta works in a case of Davar Shalobaliolam. Why? Because Situmta teaches us that if people in a particular economy do have Gemirutat on things that are, haven't been produced yet, it's the Gemirutat. The only reason Davar Shalobali Olam didn't work was because they didn't have Gemirutat on it. They couldn't have resolved to buy something that didn't yet exist. But if the practice is that people accept that, he says that Sitomtum, where does he say that? In that Shuvah that I quoted, Hoshem Mishpat Siman Samachvav, he says that, um, you know, uh, that Situmta can work in such a case of Davar Shalom Bali Olam. He also says that it solves the problem of Asmachta, because Asmachta is only a problem because the dot of the acquirer can't be firmly resolved since it's only contingent. It's only something that might happen. But since we hold by Minhag and commercial practice that Situmta is Gmirutat, no problem. So this shows you that those little lines have huge implications in modern Jewish law. Right? 
and a whole raft of chuvot and things that I do in the business and Jewish schools, of course, just flow from a single reference in the Gemara. I find it astounding that that's the case. Now, you have something that's only mentioned in like four words in the Gemara or something. How many people would, would have heard of it? But you talk to anybody who deals with commercial matters and knows anything about Jewish law, they heard of Sitomta. It's amazing to me, right? It's amazing to me. So th- this is like a little, like, you know, I knew about it because years ago I made a scene with Bob Metzia, right? Oh, Sitomta, whatever. And then I start learning, you know, Choshen and Mishpat. I said, oh, my God, it's like, it's like the central concept you know, of what's going on. It's quoted all the time. It's like an entire literature about it. It's the most quoted concept in that section of Choshen and Mishpat in the entire Barilan, you know, uh, a CD. It's quoted so many times, hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of times in modern decisions. So I find it really, really fascinating. And I find that the, what, I, what I particularly find fascinating is Rava, who was willing to accept a practice that was, you know, common in the culture in which he lived and looked to give it halachic status. I find it to be an amazing type thing. And I couldn't have invented it because I would have invented it if I had come up with this. People would say, you know, what's the matter with you? You know, this is, you know, have you gone daft? You know, and, and I probably have. But, the, uh, but the, the point is, I just find the whole sugi of this, uh, you know, now. And I find that yeah, I have other cases like this, and I'll tell you why. Because Yisrael. So it's not that Jews are money grubbers, but where there was um, economic realities that people needed to live, we say generally the Kaddish Baruch Hu worried about the money and the financial welfare of the Jewish people. So we basically go out of our way to find the opportunity to give people the ability to do trade and to do commerce. And I find that it's much more... Um, now, you could say, well, we can't do that in, in like, Igun because there's a problem of Mamzeris. We could, or Ashish or something like that. But this also has great... Um, what's, the, what's the biggest Torah Esau that could take place if you allow a transfer of property? Geneva. Right? So there are also great things at stake and whatever. And when they do this kind of thing and when they don't do this kind of thing, that's an interesting topic, you know. And um, thankfully, you have, I, I'm a Kohen, I came here tonight, you have another Kohen who's available and he's here all the time. And that's Rav Khan. And you could discuss that with him. Because he certainly has Alma, you know, he has Malomar, Binyanzeh, right? And um, it would be interesting to ask him, how does Situmta like, is that a revolutionary concept to him and what his thoughts of it are? And I'd be interested to hear it. And the next time I'm here, I'm going to talk to him about it. Okay? So pretty interesting stuff. Now, as I said to those who came late, the reason that I wanted to do this is I want to introduce the idea that hopefully it's almost a done deal. I will start teaching here in Cy Sims in the spring, Jew business and Jewish law. So the same course that I give four sections of Uptown, which is pretty popular, um, and it's not me, it's the material, the kids devoted me the, 
you know, like the best professor last year, but it's the material. Because this is great stuff, isn't it? It's really good stuff. So um, ho um, uh, Dean Pava wanted to have an opportunity to have that same popular course for the men done here and asked me if I would do it, and I jumped at the opportunity because I always enjoy being here. I'm going to be here for Shabbos twice in the next couple months. I'm going to be here once for Alpi Darko and Colm uh, Vasser. I'm going to be here another time for just for Stern Shabbaton. I had a great time last year, so I hope to be here again. And anyway, and I'm always glad when you have me for learning because it's nice to, um, you know, I, as I've told you, I consider um, we're, we're Rosh Yeshiva to Talmidim, the Talmidot. Okay? So thanks for listening. I think I and that is about an hour. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Sure.